Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Happy Mother's Day. I joined Miss um, Diane in making you welcome, and I, and I say Happy Mother's Day. I say it every year. I'm going to say it every time they give me a chance to have a microphone. Be jealous. I have the greatest mother on the planet. She is wonderful, and we thank you. Mothers take all forms. There's the, the mother that physically gives birth to us. There are mothers like me who become a mom at marriage. There are aunts and sisters who fill the role of mother in the lives of their nieces and nephews. And there are spiritual mothers. There are women in our life who have a firm grasp on Jesus Christ with one hand and with their free hand, they take hold of us and say, come with me. Let me lead you into the path that God is leading me into. And they help us. And we're grateful for all forms of mothers. Mothers are a gift and being a mother is a gift. We honor you today and we say thank you. Thank you for the fact that you carried us when we couldn't get anywhere on our own. We thank you that you held our hand as we learned to stand and as we, we learned to walk, you had the strength and the determination to let go. We thank you that you watched in agony as we fail. And we thank you for the humility it takes to want nothing in return but for our good. I... For those who may be new in the room, I, my name is Angela. I am Pastor Jim's wife. I do not preach like Pastor Jim preaches. I'm not called to that, so I'm not going to preach at you today. Um, I am not going to teach the way that I typically do. Today, I'm going to ask you to just let me have a conversation with you, a conversation on this Mother's Day from the heart of a church mama who loves all of you dearly and prays for you, and wants all that God has for you. Let me have a conversation with you today from the heart of a natural mother who is willing to stand here today and tell you, I have made mistakes. I have failed miserably and plead with you to be better than me. My brother and I grew up on the lake fishing with our dad, and he taught us about lake turnover. And in the process of a lake turning over, typically it's in the fall, the, the warm surface temperatures, the, the water at the, the surface, the warm water begins to cool and it starts to sink. And as that warm water goes down, the cold water from the bottom comes up. And with it comes some nasty stuff that rises to the top. But this process is necessary because as these temperatures, these water temperatures pass one another, the temperature levels out in the lake. And what happens then is that it allows the aquatic life in the lake to live in the full entirety of the lake. It creates a new oxygenation pattern that creates and sustains life in that lake. I've come to the realization recently that I have been walking through a turnover season in my life. God has been bringing those yucky things that I had pushed to the bottom, to the top. 
And he's been leveling me out in order for me to live in his fullness, not my own. And he's allowed life to be breathed into me again. Most of you know that six years ago, Pastor Jim received a not so great medical diagnosis. And they tell us when we leave the doctor's office, worst case scenario, pressure from his liver will create a blood backup in the blood vessels around his esophagus. If one ruptures, you're not going to make it. We went almost six years without having to worry about that. In April of last year, Pastor Jim wasn't feeling well. And we went to the emergency room, and after a couple of days in the hospital, we were reminded of worst-case scenario. He wasn't bleeding, but he had a leak, and he was severely anemic. And we left the hospital with these words, it can happen, and you won't make it. And so sitting in our living room one night, after that realization, Pastor Jim said, Angela, if I don't make it, you have to promise me you will lead the church through their grief. And you promised me that you will help them and lead them through finding a replacement pastor for me. And you champion that new pastor to ensure that the vision God gave to Launch Point Church goes forth. I said, no, I won't do it. We've been praying for healing. If God takes you, he and I are done. I will never talk to him again. And in my ignorance and arrogance, I wanted to make sure God knew that. So I had to remind him later by saying, I meant it. You and I are done if you take my husband. At the end of August last year, Pastor Jim was at a conference in Huntsville, Alabama, and I get a phone call that we're bleeding, and he's on his way to the emergency room. And I get there, and I sit in the emergency room with him for several hours, with him what I believe to be sleeping, until a nurse walked in the room to try to give him medicine. And she couldn't wake him up. He was unresponsive. She leaves the room, in walks the doctor who says, we've been waiting on an operating room, we can't wait any longer, we're too full, we're going to fix the bleed right here, but he needs rest, we're going to put him on a ventilator. They whisk me to a room the size of a Cracker Jack box by myself, and I sit there and I wait. And the doctor walks in and says, we did it. We stopped the bleed. He's good. He's on the vent. The vent's doing the work for him. The next 48 hours will tell us whether or not he's going to make it. And I said, no. You said we're going to fix the bleed. He's going to rest. We're, we're good. We didn't say make it. And he said, your husband is critical. The next 48 hours will tell us whether or not he's going to make it. I call my mama for everything. I didn't call my mama. I didn't call Miss Paulette Smith to verify the medical information I'd been given. Standing in that room all alone, God made a liar out of me because there was one person I wanted to talk to. Is God. And I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit rose up in me and I began to pray this powerful, eloquent prayer of healing over my husband. 
but I didn't. The only words that would come out of my mouth were, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry that I said I wouldn't talk to you because right now I need you and I can't do this by myself. In today's conversation, kids, carpets, chaos, and Christ was born very soon after that because the Holy Spirit began to say, you're not the only one. You're not the only one whose life is out of order. You're not the only one who doesn't have your priorities right. You're not the only one who doesn't even have a priority. You're just doing this thing till the next thing comes up, and then the next right now thing comes up, and you'll figure everything else out later, and then the next right now thing comes up. I'm bouncing around like a little red bouncy ball most of my days. And I trust the Holy Spirit when he says, you're not alone. I don't know where each and every one of you are. I talk to most of you. I believe that most of us live a life of chaos. I said I'm not going to preach at you today. I want to have a conversation with you today. And, and in this con- I'm not preaching. <laughs> and in this conversation I want to have with you today, I'm here to tell you the honest, the honest truth. It's not easy. It's not easy to get our priorities in the line. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I've got it all figured out and that I'm doing it right all the time. I'm doing the best I can. I'm better than I was six months ago. (laughs) And I'm not going to church it up today and tell you, well, the fix for your life is to make Jesus Lord. The truth is you can't make him Lord He is Lord. There's nothing you can do that makes him Lord. He is Lord. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2 verse 11, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Do you know that at salvation, you don't make him Lord? Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe with your heart that he raised him from the dead, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our salvation requires a recognition of him as the Lord that he is. You don't make him that. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 begins with, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set Jesus apart to your heart as Lord. Because he is. You can't make him there. You can't make him that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
And what are those things? Well, let's read Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 33. And I'm getting old and I have a hard time. I need a large print Bible. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 is Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount. And I think it's interesting for, for us today to notice that in Matthew chapter 5, this, this teaching starts with Jesus saw the crowds, went up on the mountain, his disciples went with him. He sat down and began to teach them. So when Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking to his disciples. He was talking to the people he'd been spending a whole lot of time with. He was talking to the people that he knew had a propensity to worry about their life. He knows our propensity to worry about our life. Mothers, he knows that we worry about our kids and our carpets. And in this text, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom. Your Father knows you need these things, and these things, these things that you worry about, they'll be added to you when you seek first his kingdom. So in this very text, I can stop right here, Jesus gives us the fix for our chaos. Everything rises and falls on seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I know you're sitting there thinking, okay, Miss Angela, we get it. Jesus first. But how? In this life of priorities, the only priority you can make is one. And that's Jesus Christ. If you make Jesus Christ your first priority, you don't got to worry about anything else. He, he says so. You don't got to worry about the next thing or the next thing or the next thing. These things will be added to you. And guess what? Let me free you up. If it's not added to you, it's not for you. Let it go. Let it go. I'm teaching. This is... I've been in that lake turnover <laughs> for a little while, and I thank God for it, but it hurt. It hurt. <laughs> the thing that, that I understood first 
when I began to seek his kingdom and his righteousness was that I had idols in my life and they had to be removed. I told you that my, my, my initial prayer in the hospital was of repentance. I was saying I was sorry for, for saying I would never talk to God again, but most of all, I was sorry for this wonderful gift of life that God had given me with my husband, the relationship that we have in this, this church body of people we love so much were an idol in my life. So much so that I was willing to say, hey, God, we're done if you take all that away from me. That's a very large idol in my life. And when we're not paying attention, we're not seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. The relationships we have, the people around us, very easily become idols in our life because we begin to seek our satisfaction in them and with them. I had an idol of a wonderful relationship. Sometimes we make an idol of our bad relationships because we focus on them, we dwell on them, and we want to make sure we tell everybody about them so they feel sorry for us too. You focus on the bad, you, you talk about the negative, you're not glorifying God. I would ask you this morning, like I had to do, take a, time, take a minute and ask yourself if, if your kids are an idol in your life. I love this little girl. Love, love, love this little girl. And we are obsessed with that grandbaby. <laughs> and we have to be careful. Because sometimes when our children become idols in our life, we don't trust God with them. And when he starts to work in their life, we get in the way. Because we can't handle them suffering for one second. We need to save them. And he's trying to save their soul. That's how you know your kids may be an idol in your life. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 and 5, Children are gifts of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full. When we're not careful and when we're not seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, this wonderful gift, this wonderful blessing of children, we turn into a curse and a sin in our life. I want to tell you that I looked for and I found a bunch of scripture that say, your kids are always going to like you. It's okay to give them more than you ever had. They deserve better than you had. And for the helicopter moms, I wanted to find the scripture that said, it's okay for you to be all up in your kids' business all the time and working everything out for them and in the business of the people that they come in contact with on a daily basis so that you manage and control everything. I didn't find scriptures that said that's okay. I found scripture that says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Genesis 18 and 19 says, For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. See, I found scripture that tells us they're not ours. I found scripture that says your greatest job, your number one priority is to steward the gift that God gave you. 
you steward them and you aim them toward his kingdom and his righteousness. They're not ours. You determine if your child is an idol in your life if you assume ownership for them. I also found that we are missionaries to our children and our home is our mission field. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Deuteronomy 4, 9, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. The Bible tells us to teach our children. We are missionaries to our children. It's great that you're involved in your community and you serve and you do this and you do that, but you will affect more change in your community by seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and displaying that in your home. Because if you display that in your home, your children will display that in their school with the kids they go to school with, to their teachers, to their employers, to everyone they ever encounter in their life. You will affect more by witnessing to your children. And I told you I'm having a conversation today. There are times that our daughter says things that make me go, ouch. Until I realized I taught her that. I'm sorry. I haven't been a good example to you. I will be better. You determine if your children are idols in your life. If your name, your reputation is what people see in them instead of Christ. You witness to them seeking the kingdom first. In the kingdom, as we submit, we understand that there is an authority structure. And as we submit to Christ and his authority over our life, we understand that we have a rightful authority over the lives of our children. And in that rightful authority, they deserve you to love them enough to correct them and discipline them. You want to know if your children are idols in your life? Have you forsaken influence for favor with them? You can't love your kids any more than God loves us. He sent his only son to die on our behalf. And he still, in that love for us, rebukes us. He corrects us. He disciplines us. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 say, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Even as a father corrects a son in whom he delights. Our kids don't like it when they're corrected. They don't like us when we correct them. But we prove our like and our delight in them when we correct them. God loves us enough to correct us. I told you guys earlier about the, 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 the things, the, the turnover, the lake turnover that's been going on inside of me. 
I said it earlier, I'm not allowed to say it anymore. Um, 2021 was a really bad year. But I stand here today and praise God for that year. Because let me tell you what I found out this week that my daddy forgot to teach us. Shallow lakes don't turn over. Only the deep lakes turn over. So when God disciplines us, it's because he loves us enough to make us better. And he sees deep waters. I thank God for the fact that when he breaks us, because sometimes we're stubborn enough, we need a good breaking, that he does it with grace and mercy and compassion. He doesn't break us to destroy us. He breaks us to grow us. I um, enjoy a clean house. I, I very much like for my house to be clean. I like for people to come to my house and talk about my clean house. And as I seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, I've come to the understanding that my floors in my house are not the only reason I need to be on my knees. That the floors in my house are not the only things that need cleaning and conditioning. My spirit man on the inside of me needs cleaning and conditioning. The Bible says that we, the church, are the bride of Christ. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 5 says, For your husband is your maker whose name is the Lord of hosts. Revelation 19 verse 7 and 8 say this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. For those of you in the room who are married, females, go back to your, your wedding day. If you're not married, go back to a first date. As men in the room, go to, go to a job interview that you've had. You prepared yourself for it. You readied yourself for it. As a bride, you wanted... Pastor Jim, my favorite thing when he does weddings is to watch the groom. When the bride enters the room and starts to walk down the aisle, we love to watch the groom and see his reaction. Because he's so... Over, typically, they're so overwhelmed by all of the preparation that their bride has made to make themselves ready for them. And don't you think if that bride was about to walk out those doors and saw a spot on her shirt, or if you were on your way to a job interview and you spilled coffee on your shirt, you wouldn't turn around and go back home and ready yourself. Because you don't want spot or blemish on you. And yet, we have a bridegroom returning for us, and we, the church, are not the bride that God promised his son. We are not without spot or blemish. We are not the perfected bride. I hear people flippantly say, Lord Jesus, come. And I'm over here in my little corner going, ooh, not yet. Because <laughs> I, I don't got myself ready. It's a hard truth to accept, but the church today is not the bride that God promised his son. 
but we owe it to him to seek first his righteousness, his kingdom and his righteousness to ready ourselves. And how do you ready yourself? I, I've, I've had to learn to do it by, I don't know, pick up the book and read and, and know everything my groom is looking for in me. Maybe I could get to know my groom by his word so that I know how to get ready. And as I mentioned, I should be on my knees more than just cleaning my carpets or my floors. Maybe I should be on my knees praying and asking the Holy Spirit, show me, show me what spot, spot and blemish I have and remove it from me. Cut it out. And even if it hurts God, give me the strength to take it. And give me the, the fortitude to thank you for it, even when it hurts because I know that you are helping me to ready myself for you. When we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, chaos goes away. You want to know the truth in my life? This, this red bouncy ball that I am all over the place, it's created by me. It's not put on me by anybody else. It is created by me. It is because I haven't had the right priorities. And as I've decided and determined in my heart and in my spirit, man, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that chaos is gone. It's contentment that comes. Paul says in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians verse 10, Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, those things that we consider to be chaos, those things that feel like you're being turned over like a lake, actually become those things in your life that become a testimony to the glory of God for what he did for you when you could do nothing. That for when you are weak, you are strong because you allowed God to do the work that needed to be done. Those things that feel like chaos become those teaching moments. Those moments when we get to go, I know that was you. That had nothing to do with me. Sometimes that chaos looks like standing in a pulpit every year on Mother's Day. <laughs> talking in front of a room full of people. But I've come to understand that it's what God's asked me to do. And as I seek his kingdom and his righteousness, it's what I'll do every time he asks me to do it. Because I'm not preaching to please myself or to please you. I'm not, I'm not talking to, to please myself or to please you. I pray that everything I say and do glorifies him and him alone. And why would I ever say, I don't want to do that? Why would I ever say, don't, don't give me a chance to glorify God? See, when we, we allow ourselves to surrender and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, our life no longer looks like kids, carpets, chaos, and Christ. Our life looks like Christ, contentment, kids and carpets, and whatever else this old world wants to throw at me because I'm ready to stand against the wiles of the enemy or, or the whatever people may say or whatever may be done, I'm ready to stand and I'll walk through that 
with the same grace that God's given me to walk through everything else I've ever walked through. There is no chaos. There's just contentment. And at the end of our life, should Jesus tarry, one of these days we're going to be in a casket and people are going to stand over us. And there's a real good chance that some of them will say, oh, she did it all. I don't know how she did it. Or they'll say, she makes the best cheesecake ever. If you've had one, you know. Um, her floors were always so spotless. Her house was always so clean. She was the best soccer mom we had. She brought the best snacks to all our games. People may say that about you. But in death, you're not going to be there to hear it. There's, there's one of two things we hear in death. God forbid we hear, depart from me, I never knew you. When we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, we get to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what we build our life on. That's priority number one. That's how you fit it all in. You got one thing to fit in. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's it. I've given you a, a few hard truths today, but there's a beautiful truth. The beautiful truth that Jesus understands and that we are not alone. Luke chapter 22, verse 41 through 44, you read the story of Jesus in the garden before his betrayal. And in that story, the, the, the scripture says that there was an angel present to strengthen Jesus. And it talks about as Jesus was praying, he was in agony. And the gospels tell us of a man named Simon who was designated to carry the cross for Jesus, to his crucifixion. Jesus knows what it feels like to need spiritual and physical help. And he sits at the right hand of God to intercede on our behalf, knowing how we feel. I love Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 and 10, or 7 through 10. I'm going to read those for you. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2 is for me. It says that he knows how to deal with the ignorant and misguided. Um, but 5, 7 through 10 is for you guys. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus sits as our high priest, making intercession on our behalf. And that's the most comforting thing to me. I love all of you, and I, I love any help that any of you can give me. But he provides the greatest help that any of us could ask for. And he deserves for me and you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I don't know about y'all, but I'm, 
I, I like satisfying. And the word is very clear that I, I thirst and I hunger for righteousness in order to be satisfied. And I don't know where you are today. I, you may have this all figured out and are so much better off than me. <laughs> but I ask you, I plead with you as I started this, be better than me. Begin right now seeking him and making room for him in your life. 